everyone, welcome to Performing the Arts, episode seven of season three. My name is always Brian M. Davis. Joining me today is Stephanie Shakti. Ah, oh, crap, I, this is what we're just talking about. Uh, uh, but yeah, Stephanie is a, uh, an actress from the Tri-State area, mostly from both New York and probably Jersey too, but her Jersey experience is more so on the, on the wrestling side, which we'll touch upon later, but yeah, I know her for the past, like, say, I want to say 2006, 2000, oh, 2006, oh, geez, that, that's long, I mean, 2016, <laughs> 2016 to, I want to say mm-hmm. 2016, 2017, was, I saw her in one of the Shakespeare plays, uh, I think it was probably either Julius Caesar, or maybe, yeah, it was probably Julius Caesar from the Brooklyn one. Uh, yeah, that was... Yeah, that was the first one that I was in. Yeah, so I saw her in Julia, uh, Julius mm. Caesar, and then I got to work with her with Much Ado About Nothing, uh, like a summer or two later. And yeah, and I know her from also from wrestling, which we'll get to later, but how, uh, but it's weird how you're both an actress, but also workable on the wrestling side. Yeah. How, how did, so, <laughs> Uh, so, but yeah, how did you get into acting first? Um, so it's just something that I've really wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, when I was very little, um, up until I was maybe 14, I was always very, very shy. I was like deathly like scared of my own shadow, like level shy. And the only time that I wasn't is when I was performing. Yeah. Um, and I realized pretty quickly, oh, to me, like, this is like a superpower, like just to be somebody else is the only time that I came out of my shell. It's the only time that I felt comfortable. Um, And I realized that pretty early on, like 11 or 12, um, I figured this is what I want to do. I figured out pretty, um, I think I figured out pretty quickly, like a lot of people don't really know what they want to do. And I remember never having that kind of crisis, like going through high school and into college. I'm like, no, I have a pretty solid idea. (laughs) I am good. Like I had it figured out. yeah, I, I think it's. I, yeah, I think. In, uh, no, no, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> it's weird how, like, in college, you always have that crisis of, like, oh, what we got to do? It's like, because they signed you up for, like, a. Like, when I went to college, they signed me up for a liberal arts degree, even though I didn't want to do a liberal arts degree. And I, it was like, I had a fight to. I, I literally had a fight just to get to into the performing arts program. And then it was like, do you really want to do that? But yeah, it, it's weird how, mm. essentially, once you do. Like once you set upon something, you, in college might say, eh, you might want to try something like this. So yeah, I definitely agree with like college being like almost like a uh, a, a like a, a mystery all by itself. At the same time, it helps you find your path, even though that path doesn't want to be the same path it wants to be. On. Yeah, I mean, uh, I figured I I figured out that that um. Like, I did also want, it did help me figure out that I did also want to be involved in other things. Like, um, I've been involved in, I've been involved for comedy for over a decade as well. So I figured that out um, in college that, oh, this is something I really, I also very much enjoy. Um, As for, for, because for sketch comedy, I've been involved with that for over a decade, whether it's writing it or producing shows or directing. 
Um, I have like a long-standing history with that too. And they're, you know, it's a very different animal than like legitimate theater uh, to be involved with comedy. is very, very, very different. It is. Uh, I'm only done sketch comedy a couple of times because of, you know, off Broadway shows, but it's, you know, performing sketch comedy, it's, you get your sensation after like you perform a couple of the skits, but when you have to write once, <laughs> When you have to write mm -hmm. your own jokes and all that stuff, it, it's hard. It's like, yeah, I have no, it's, it, it's also like, I always, I mean, I guess I, I, I do appreciate that about theater is you do get an immediate reaction. Yeah. Um, it's obviously, you know, there's also a, a beauty to film, but the, the, there's the differences like, well, I can work on something for so long and then I have to wait for what people might think about it and then make adjustments later as opposed to live performing it's like okay I, I i have an idea of where there might be issues and then i can change it for next time especially for sketches i mean I, it, you don't just perform it once and then never again you workshop it you figure out yeah where the problem areas are and i i, I do like that about it it's like okay this is a little bit easier to to see where the problems are uh, <laughs> um, yeah uh, uh, what's one called? Uh, theater is like when you perform theater. It's like it, you're kind of doing you're doing like a, a set routine where it's like oh do the same play, but it's like seven nights a week or maybe eight nights a week, twice new mm -hmm. on Saturdays. But when you do like a sketch or anything, it's really like okay, we see what jokes we have and we see what jokes work, what jokes fall flat, you know that sort of thing. It, it's it's really rewarding to, to workshop a sketch though. I've been, yeah. again, I've been doing that for, for so long. Um, to write something, to get an idea, and then to have like maybe part of it not work or something and figure out why, it is very rewarding to, to adjust it and, make, and, and see if it goes better. Aside um, from- That aside is from, super rewarding. Oh, yeah, it, it is. It, it is really. Uh, aside from sketch comedy, do you write anything else? Like poetry and stuff like that? have a, um i've written short like scenes um like short little like short little films i mean everything that i've mostly written has been comedic to some extent even if it's not a straightforward straightforward sketch so they're either yeah. scenes or like scenes or short films um it so to me it's all in the same category um i was I recently I was taking like playwriting classes to get back into that so I think hopefully soon like I would want to jump into that and try to you know one of my goals would be to write like a full-length play um yeah. that would have been an awesome goal that would have been an amazing goal for 2020 um yes. except the world exploded so it kind of stopped a lot of people's plans <laughs> well it, it's still not stopping you to write that play too it was like you know oh uh, no no but i you know to to get into it like i took a playwriting class the woman who taught it is, is very very smart and very encouraging and she wanted i had an idea i told her you know if you do this class with if it's like an independent class yeah. you know so it's, it's a few people at a time and i said if you if you did this before with other people like let's all come together and have a little workshop and we can all write something and it can be like a reading of, of all of your students and their work um which she really liked and she's like yeah okay let's like i'm gonna do that like that's that's a good idea let's do it uh that was supposed to be this year so <laughs> <laughs> um as yeah. soon as she was like gonna get everybody started 
um COVID happening. You know, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I eventually I and it's also it's also easier when I have because it's something new that I've never dived into. I have a, a ton of ideas, but I've never had I never structured something writing wise that's on the dramatic side. And it, it is like, it is more encouraging when I'm in that setting where I have somebody else they can show like my work to or something. Hey, what do you think? Like you're the expert here just to help guide me along. Cause it's something I've never really dived into it, um, except really in college. And that's like, it wasn't a lot. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's, yeah, when I was something yes. new, it was just, it would have been a nice environment to get that started. So knock on wood, when we get back to normal, um, that yeah. would be the next thing I want to dive into. Um, because also with her class, um, I have a ton of stuff that's been written. A lot of it obviously would have to be multiple drafts, but yeah. um, it's, it's something to jump off with. So it is something else I'd want to explore is write something of my own to put on stage. Cause I've been obviously there as an actor, I've been as a producer, I've produced a lot of, a lot of shows, um, like a lot of live entertainment shows, not just theater, um, but a lot of sketch comedy shows, stand up, like a lot of variety. So it's, it's been a lot of different things that I've produced, I've been in and I've directed. Um, so uh, besides comedy, it's not, I, I haven't done anything like straight dramatic that I've written and could, Put, put up there so it would be it'd be a fun challenge <laughs> yeah uh but back to college a nod mm -hmm. to make uh sure. where did you go to college uh to study the theater arts i went to hofstra university in long island new york um i am a, i'm i'm originally from south florida and ah. I've always done a lot of weird looks. How did you get from Florida to Long Island? Um, my my mom is a, my mom was a born and bred New Yorker, born Brooklyn, raised in Manhattan. She is New York all the way through, um, and she would she encouraged me my whole life. It was almost like brainwashing, but not on purpose. Like she kind of it was she accidentally brainwashed me. She's like, you gotta get out of here. You gotta go to New York. Like yeah. as a kid, she hated she hated Florida. Always hated Florida. And ever since I was a kid, like, romanticized the heck out of New York. Um, that was her home, you know? Like, she loved it there. Um, I mean, you know, she grew up there in the 60s and 70s, very different place. But she romanticized the heck out of it. She's like, you get older, go to New York, get out of here, get out of Florida. And just filled me with that, like, those thoughts. Um, so when I got older, and, the, and this was the discussion, and I admitted, like, this is what I want to do. You know, she was okay with it. She was always like encouraging my dad, not so much, but my mom's like, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's great. Like, um, she at first thought it was because did we never give you enough attention? Why do you want to perform? Why do you want to do this? Like, no, that has nothing, <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. I, I like being other people. <laughs> um, I like escaping to be other people. It's nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with attention. <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll, I just like to, to, to say lines that, that I'm going through my head, okay? So it's like, it's like gang, it's like being characters, it's it's a fun uh, thing to do, especially when it's a character you haven't done. So yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, like, for me, it's an escape. It's like, I don't, you know, again, I was a very shy child, very, very low self-esteem. So to me, it was just, oh, I'm going to be another person. I'm just going to escape my 
uh, you know, mind that's not really fun all the time and just yeah. like, can be other people. So what? yeah, that's, what? I didn't, I didn't tell her that. I was like, I don't want to make you feel bad, but yeah. I just want to be, a, I just don't want to be me. So that's why I do this. It's nothing to do with attention. So uh, we, we re when I was researching, she knew of Hofstra. I don't remember how, but she always knew of Hofstra and she always heard of their drama program. Yeah. She always heard that it, it had a lot of respect. And granted, it does. There were a lot of instances after college, during it, where I would hear. Um, and I don't know how true that is today, but I, I would hear, you know, no. Like, uh, when people see that on your resume, it, it, like, it is respected for that program. Yeah. Um, you know, so obviously, so are other programs, like NYU and all that. But it was... Uh, it was looked at with like, oh, okay, you know, very nice. At least that's 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 what I was told as as I was, uh, you know, growing up. So, so that really was the only choice that that I had. I did early decision. I got in. I was like, okay, this was easy. I didn't pick anywhere else. Um, I was like, yeah, I was told about this school. We went there. We researched it. Um, honestly, my second choice was somewhere in Chicago. It was like another type of performing arts school that was in Chicago. I could have ended up there. Um, yeah. But, it was, but again, I kept my mom, you know, filled all my head with uh, New York and all that. And so this, and, and New York was, NYU was way too expensive. I was like, there's of no course. absolute, I am same, not going Same thing with Columbia city. too. Yeah, absolutely. I looked at all that. My All of my schools were just New York, except for one or two. And yeah that's how I kind of weeded them out. I was like, well, what percentage is, because uh, I, I looked up all these stats at, uh, at the time, there was like a big book of all these stats of all the colleges, like, uh, you know, their tuition, like the percentage of acceptance, um, the percentage of how many people are in which major, like where would I fit in best? Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, this, this is okay. You know, and they lied. They're like, you know, yeah, we're super close to New York. No, they're not. Uh, <laughs> no, they're Long, not. I mean, Long, Long Island, Island Railroad. Yeah. There, there's a reason why Long Island is called Long Island, okay? Because it is, aside from the joke, it's a Long Island. Just getting to somewhere on Long Island takes ages and just, uh -huh. it, it takes yeah. you like, like, like just getting somewhere to like uh, Montauk. That's like the end of Long Island. That's like a five hour drive. <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that may be a five. No, no, no. Like and it's not just. Yeah, it's not just like. Um, it's also just getting to the train was a problem. Like we had, yeah. we had a bus on campus that took you to the surrounding areas around campus, including two different train stations. One of them not super safe at night for women, um, and the other one didn't run all the time. There were two different, um, you know, LIRR stops that were near Hofstra. Uh, and you just really had to be careful. I'm like, this is not like an easy trek into New York. Um, so it wasn't super close. It wasn't the easiest commute. Like, is it doable? Yeah. Like, I did it all through college. And honestly, the first time that I did it on my own, because uh, friends, you know, you and your friends would, that would happen a few times. Just hop on, go spend the day there, come back, come back yeah. before night, come back before nightfall. Um, because certain areas near the college, you don't want to be there when it's at nighttime if you're a woman. Uh, it's not super safe sometimes. Um, so <laughs> you go in groups. And 
So yeah. you do that a you do that a lot. And the first time I took it by myself, um, I had gotten a real job as a stage manager um, oh, nice. for this little for this little company. I was like twenty. They were so I was like a year out from graduating, and I learned that as a skill. Like I'm as a person, I'm very very organized. Like I'm very anal retentive about keeping everything in place, and that's just like separate from the creative stuff. I'm very, very organized. I do everything very methodically. So I also, throughout all of college, they have you obviously take a lot, a lot of classes about learning behind the scenes. Oh, um, of course, yeah. You, you, you learn about, you take classes where you, you learn like, how to build like, a set or like use certain tools if you want to go that way. You, yeah. Like they show you a little bit about what happens in the costuming. Like you just get little, you know, there's glimpses. a class that like you little, take. You get little glimpses right of the production yeah. side. Um, right. That way, if does any of this interest you? And part of that was also stage managing. So yeah. once I learned what that was about, I was like, oh, this, uh, to keep everything organized, like this, this is like perfect for me. Um, if I wanted to like explore the production side as a job. So I was able to, to do that um and it was for like this little it was like this uh this little company that did little shows for school you know like teaching you a little bit about history or just like little little performances for kids that they go around the yeah. schools um oddly enough i never had to go with them to the actual performances um <laughs> i was just there for rehearsals to like keep everything in yeah. track uh, on track i keep everybody there organized all that stuff it wasn't super demanding, but it was really exciting. I was like, I'm 20. This is like my first actual job in the, like in the city and stage manager. I'm in the field. Real. I'm actually seeing how yeah. things are working. And then I'm it, getting it, real money. Like I still have, yeah. I still have a copy of my first check that I got. Oh, that, it's super exciting. Awesome. And that was the first time I went into the city by myself. And I swear what it felt like. I was like, I'm a woman. I'm an adult. <laughs> This is insane. I left my dorm on my own, got to the city, didn't get lost, got back. Like it felt like a real accomplishment. Um, and what's funny is like looking back, it was so not like the insane trek that I thought it was because I went to Penn Station, which if you know, it's like 34th and 8th. Yeah. My rehearsals for these shows were at 36th and 8th. I was two blocks away and for me I'm like this is like excuse me let me take my backpack and venture out I shall come well, back. two blocks <laughs> on in Manhattan is is kind of like five blocks in a no normal Brooklyn thing but it's like <laughs> you walk a, a Manhattan block it's like literally like three blocks normally but if you walk like one stretch of block in Manhattan it's a little like because my job before COVID had shut everything down, my job was on 30, uh, West 38th Street. Yeah, West 36th, West 38th Street, around there. So mm -hmm. I used to go through uh, Brain Park, no relation, to most of my things. So like the mo and the weird thing is that when I would go and see shows, you know, in Manhattan with my friends and everything, I would have to get to Brian Park in order to get the D train because the D train was right in, you know, in Brian Park. And all mm. my memories beforehand was like, oh, it's like, it's, it's like we're like 10 blocks away. And then I'd be like, you know, looking on this now, it's like, it's not even 10 blocks away. It's like, you know, 
three blocks over. It's like, but to me, because the way New York, uh, Manhattan is like formatted, it seems down, more daunting than yeah. like it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you, you know, especially with the theaters I have to go to, it's like, oh, I got to go to the, um, the Phantom of the Opera Theater. I was like, okay, that's a couple of blocks away. And, but, you know, to, to how it looks to any New Yorker, who, I mean, to any tourist, I should say, to any tourist, well, sorry, tourist, but to anybody who isn't a native New Yorker, Mm-hmm. It's it's very daunting to see, you know, it's just like, oh, you gotta go oh, to Oh, yeah. The, especially. I, I, my first day venturing out there, I got lost. Oh, yeah. Like, that was what I was building up to. I'm like, now that I'm an adult looking at it, I was two or three blocks away from Penn Station. I somehow got lost. Like, I corrected myself, but I remember. Um, this was also before. And it's easy smart, to get lost, too. Like, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't, York have a, I didn't have I didn't have a map. I like I think I printed one out. That was the thing I always did. If I was going somewhere new, I have I would print out a map um, because before smartphones, before Google Maps, <laughs> I, I would just do it manually, and I somehow got lost. Now it's like ugh, it's so easy. Um, yeah. But that why it was just like a, it was all brand new. Yeah, I was like Mary Tyler Moore. I'm like, once I got home, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna make it after all through my hat mirror. I'm like, I got this. This is good. Um, yeah, but that's how that's that's how that started. Uh, I graduated. The amount of times um, I've actually got lost in the Lower East Side is yeah. hilarious because it, 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 it's weird. It's like New York City, at least Manhattan wise, it, it shouldn't be that like hard to go because one down block. You know, but a lot of these blocks are very similar, especially if you're walking down two blocks. It's like, oh, I just got to go to uh, 40, uh, you know, 48th Street and go on 45th Street. It's like, just walk three blocks. But once you pass by 48th Street, you might not notice it because I've done that like countless of times on my job where it's like, oh, I got to go to um, 48th Street. And then I'll be like walking, walking, walking. And then I go like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm like, I'm like 51st Street now. It's like, how did I get past here? I'm like, because the weird, the weird it's, thing it's is, like a, the farther, the further away you get from the center, the less it's like a grid. And and I still don't have a handle on it. I, I to all those places where it's not just avenues or streets, I still like need a little extra help. I'm still not, <laughs> I'm yeah, still not it, super familiar with it. All right. Uh, so <laughs> out of that traction that we had. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's uh, that, that's how I that's how I I got started, and I. I graduated um, a semester early, so I graduated Ooh, after nice. three and a half years. After three and a half years, because I don't know, I, I was, uh, I thought taking all these AP classes would do something. I mean, it did, but that's it gave me like a, a semester's worth. So I, I was yeah. done in three and a half years instead of four. Which is um, always nice to do. So, <laughs> which you know, to graduate early instead of like. Your, your, your planned time is like I was able to graduate early, so I was like, oh, thank God. Yeah, and I was I had I had a rough time in in college. Like I've like I've been asked before about like how I got here. I've been asked about you know same thing. All these things you're asking me, and I always say like I did not fit in with the rest of these. Like I see you always hear jokes about like theater kids. I'm like, yeah, I was not that. That's yeah. not me. I don't, I don't fit into that stereotype. Um, I don't care. I don't judge. Like I, yeah. plenty of people I know that are great that have that stereotype, you know, but it, but it's also just that as a stereotype of, you know, over energetic and, and like 
um, just like very self-centered. That's kind of the, right. That's like yeah. the, the stereotype. And I just didn't, you know, in my class, the people that were in my major, they were a lot of times that they were kind of loud and like a little too judgmental. And I had, I had yeah. my own things I was going through. I just didn't fit because I just, I didn't have the same influences, like similar to why I was involved in sketch comedy. A lot of my influences were not just actors. A lot of mine were stand-up comedians, like the people that I, I looked up to, the, peop- the, the performers that I respected. Um, you know, you're, you're not really going to, you're not really going to be like a lot of other people when yeah. someone you hold, when one of the people you hold close to your heart is Bill Hicks. I mean, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're going to already, like you're, when, like I saw like Bill you, Hicks. Like, like with Bill Hicks, you have a mindset, of like what type of comedy you want to do, especially, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. especially when he does like, uh, like him ripping on a heckler is just so legendary because he's just doing, <laughs> he, he's just doing his set and then there's this heckler and then, and then you just like, you just kind of got a second until he just finally rips on a new one in front. And when he I, finally I know. does, it's, I love that he's, he's brutal. He's, he was amazing. <laughs> it's like another comedy, uh, comedy another stand up comedy that I, I love is Bill Burr, and his stuff oh, is like yeah. similar. Like his oh, yeah. stuff is similar to uh, Bill Hicks, whereas Bill Hicks was just like kind of angry. Bill Burr has like the same kind of angry energy, and he actually did the mm-hmm. same thing with, the, with a heckler, but. Instead, of, it was one heckler. It was the entire city of Philadelphia, which is hilarious. Oh, yep. Oh, trust me. The op- you're talking about the Opie and Anthony yep. traveling virus tour. I know all yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, do I. I went. To, I, I, I didn't. I wasn't at that one. I think I went to the one the next year. Um, but I do know a few people who were like actually there when that happened. Um, no, trust me. I know all about that. Uh, Bilber <laughs> is absolutely. Bilber is also one of my favorites. I again. When I was a kid, that's where that's also what I was getting to. Is my influences were were starkly different than a lot of other people's. Um, I have uh, my favorite. Have, I, do you have any other sorry. influences? No, go ahead. Uh, no, it's perfect. Uh, do you have any other influences that actually does help you in terms of your acting as well as like say comedic talents or comedic yeah, energy? Of co- oh no, yeah, absolutely. The thing is, like, I I think it's helpful to get influences from a lot of other different places. I mean, if you just take in one type of art form, it's, it's not going to leave you much room to kind of explore creatively. Um, you look at a lot of different things. I mean, I have my favorite actors. Like when I was growing up, um, Marissa Tomei was actually one of the first things I saw when I was seven. I saw Mike and Minnie. And Which Marissa I just rewatched, by the was, way. She's brilliant in it. Yes, yeah, she um, is. She's a brilliant character actress. And when I was a kid, I would, that whole movie, I still know to this day, backwards and forwards. And as a kid, I would just imitate her. I mean, that was my parlor trick. My mom would ask me all the time, Stephanie, do my cousin Vinny, do the courtroom scene. I was a seven-year-old kid. I was just <laughs> like saying this over, I did that as an adult. People just found it funny. Like, not as an adult, but like in high school, that's what I would do. Um, I would just like repeat these things. It, just, it, it was just so fun to me. Um, he was one of them, too. Jim... Jim, yeah, Jim Carrey was also one of my, as a, I've seen him since I was six years old. I'm like, I respected just, the, how do I word this? The way that I word things about Jim Carrey, I go, he has never once phoned it in for anything he's ever done. 
everything he's ever done, he gives a thousand percent to everything. Even when I it's love a, that about him. <laughs> even when it's a film that you know he just did with a paycheck, he's just like, you know what? Look, I'm just gonna go all out. Oh yeah, you know, of course. You know, the, Majest the, the majestic, the majestic, terrible movie. He was great. Yeah. Majestic was horrible. <laughs> I saw right Sonic well, when I came up with that. I saw Sonic earlier this year, and I'm like, Jim Carrey is the CEO of never phoning it in. Like this yeah. dude always goes out. I respect him so much for that. Um, Paul Giamatti is also like I love. It, like every time, every role he's ever taken on, he plays this everyman type character, and it's very strange yeah, as a young Giamatti. girl to. <laughs> So, no. it's, it's very strange as a young girl to relate to that, but I, I love that. I always loved his, you know, not only a great actor, but he has just this, to me, every role he's been in, it's like, he plays these characters that are just screaming, I want someone to see me and to appreciate me. It's got that tinge to it. And I always appreciated that. I always connected to that level, that part of it. Yeah. Um, I connect, that's a lot, that's why I say a lot of my influencers are weird because I connect to a lot of people that I saw similarity in that you probably shouldn't. I mean, I always say like, I saw, obviously on TV, I never saw any of these people live, but I saw George Carlin for the first time when I was seven. My, my parents just had it on. Again, I saw Bill Hicks when I was 15. When I, start, when I was like nine years old to as an adult, I took in a lot of stand-up comedy. It's all I watched. No, I was yeah. not discriminate. Everybody. Like, this was at the time Comedy Central showed a lot of comedy and yeah. just like hours and hours of all these different stand-up specials and Comedy Central Presents and Premium Blend and Pulp Comics and Tompkins Square, like all this stuff, I just took all of it in, you know? Um, I haven't heard I was, of those shows in like 20 years. Like that, and that's, like, I'm just like, yeah. wow. It's like, like you know those that, are shows that, I haven't heard of. Like in 20 video years, game, like... You know that video game character Kirby where he just like sucks everything in? <laughs> and if you play video that's what it was just like everything um like and i saw a lot of new york locals that i grew up to later learn you know these are like new york comics you know like uh like jim norton robert kelly yeah. bill bill burr patrice o'neill i saw i grew up watching these people um like i saw jim norton on tv for the first time i think when i was 11 or 12 and i was like oh this is my guy that is not a standard thought to have as a 12-year-old girl. If you ever seen Jim Norton's, his, his act, it's not normal for a 12-year-old girl to look at that and go, dude, I relate to you. Like, I get it. I get what you're going yeah. for. Um, because it wasn't just like what they were saying. It was the fact that you, you are pushing the envelope not just to do it, but it's because it's part of what you want to say. You have to do that. You want to discuss these things that make people uncomfortable because you're trying to say something that's not really being said elsewhere. And I always respected that and I love that. But it also, it, it's just you have a different, you just act differently. It kind of just like altered my mind, you know what I mean? Like a little bit. Yeah. I, have, I have a very, because again, when you appreciate stuff like that at a young age, I have a very, I can have a very warped and very dark sense of humor because to me, it's, that's what's real. Like when you dive into the worst parts of humanity and you're willing to talk about it and not only that, you're willing to joke about it. That to me is very, very real and I always respect that. It's why yeah. I respect comedians like that, just like Bill Burr. Anytime you see him, and especially in interviews, the 
dude just does not care. He just is genuinely himself. And I always appreciate that. I always appreciate realism. Yeah, you know, any, it, any, it any actually, comedians that are like, we're just being weird just for the sake of weird. I can't stand. I, I always hate that stuff. I always love the comedians that are just very real and very raw. It doesn't necessarily, obviously, has, it has to be blue or like a lot of cursing or any of that stuff. I don't, I don't care about that. I, I love it when they're genuine people. And all the people that I grew up respecting and who influenced me was that. You know what I mean? So not necessarily... Yeah. It's not like I didn't watch all of that and think, oh, I want to be a stand-up because I knew that that was not in my heart. I knew that that's not how I want to express myself through my art. That's how they do it. And that's fine. But I also knew from a very young age, I was like, I can respect what they're doing and be very knowledgeable about it and be influenced by them as people. And I don't necessarily have to do it. Um, it's, which is a very, I think it's a, it's a good thing to, to to, dis to uh, see the difference there. Um, there's a lot of people that I've seen, because again, I produce a lot of shows, yeah. um, who love stand-up, who love stand-up and kind of like, well, I do all these other things that involve comedy. Why don't I just try this? Like people see it sometimes, people sometimes see it as a stepping stone and not necessarily a destination. Um, so it can sometimes not get the respect that it deserves. You know, there's a lot of people that don't, that don't see that there should be like a lot of work put into it. And it's a legitimate art form that should be respected. Yeah. Um, and that's not everybody, but sometimes that's just how it's seen. Um, and certainly, you know, for the comedians that I loved growing up, a lot of times they did not get the respect um, that I thought they deserved. Oh, yeah. um, just, be, just because, I mean, because of what they talk about, because they just, you know, they, they like, make audience, they make audiences a, uncomfortable. So a, a lot of times it's like, eh, I don't wanna A good comedian <laughs> that I know of that didn't get uh because he was like very known for to be very to be very uh grass was Dennis Lurie. And I love watching Dennis Lurie stuff when yep. I watched like mm -hmm. in the nineties where he was like, Oh no cure for cancer, uh yep. that sort of yeah. and he would always be known as a very crassy comedian, you know, some of the Bill Hicks even up there was a lot of things where people were like, oh, he, he's ripped off Bill Hicks. He's been, yeah, he's been accused of, of doing he, that. <laughs> even though in comedy, people rip off everyone else's routines every now and then. It's like, it's no particular. People just like rip off jokes. Or it was like, eh, it's acts, that sort of thing. But, yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> certainly a difference between, there's definitely a difference between similar personalities, parallel thinking, and just straight up stealing. I but mean, there, there's, the, there's, there's a clear difference there. The thing with Leary, though, is like, he ended up doing a great TV show called Rescue Me for the past, for, so I, I want to mm -hmm. say from like 20, 2003, 2002, like the early 2000s to at least 2007 or at least eight. So at least five years on a, on a, uh, on FX. And it's a great show too, because you just see how well he is an actor, because, you know, he doesn't really do that much like dramatic stuff because when you do see him as a dramatic actor, he's like he's really good. And, and a it's lot the same. of a lot of comedic actors, shockingly, are really wonderful really good. in these serious roles. Um, I I remember, um, you know, he. Uh, I mean, redact his name if you like, but Louis C.K. was also. Um, at the top of that list of those types of people, where he was a stand-up and then his show was really respected as a piece of art, like as a piece of yeah. filmmaking. Um, his FX show 
was looked at as like, oh God, we respect you as a filmmaker. Like you're trying to say something else. Um, Ricky Gervais, also in the same boat, um, was known for the original office, was known for, you know, as a comedian, but his, uh, his, his two movies, The Invention of Lying and Ghost Town, I hope I got, I'm pretty sure I got yeah. that right. Um, they both have names, elements yeah. in, they, they both have elements in them. When it gets dramatic, it's like, oh God, he kicks you in the heart. He's really good at that. Um, and it like sneaks up on you. His stuff that tends to do that is like, you're watching it, you're going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, why am I bawling? Like he has a really good, he, he's able to do that really well. His show on Netflix, Afterlife also is just, yeah. God, don't like, you'll be depressed, but it's like, oh, but it feels so good because he's so good at it. Like, this is just wonderfully sad because it's just very fulfilling. He's very good at that. Um, Even in in Ghost Town, uh, if you remember, Robert Kelly had a a very small role in Ghost Town. And even he was really great at it. (laughs) I was like, these comedians, um, you know, who get to be fully their jerkish self on stage if they want and then they just do these serious roles and it's like oh but you're so good you're pulling on my heartstrings this is great like I love seeing that um like one of my favorite (laughs) two of my favorite shows that happen to be on Netflix happen to be cartoons and both star uh comedians in their in the voice role one is Bojack Horseman and the other one is Apple Family and watching those series almost back to back it's like you go from, like, with BoJack Horseman, you watch it, like, it, it gets to a point where it's like, it is depressing, you're crying towards the end. But if you're <laughs> watching with F was for Family, it's like, you start with that, and then it's like almost a, a great pick-me-up, where it's just like, Bill Berg has a way of making you laugh, but also making you think as well. And the same thing with uh, BoJack Horseman, where it's basically, it, it's... Shakespeare, in a way, and speaking of Shakespeare, <laughs> it's an odd way of uh, segueing into Shakespeare. No, oh, that's so. fine, but that's what, I, that's what I wanted to get across, is like, you asked me, those are my influences. Oh, and of it's, course. Again, and again, it's not necessarily because I wanted to do that type of art. It's, they influence me as people. Like, the way that they express themselves is what influences me. And yeah. it, it still does influence me. Everything that I try to work on and and this was also um this was also emphasized in college my professors who uh who were my acting professors because you know some of them are production or you know like history but the ones that were focused on purely the the acting part of it they 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 like to do that they like having their philosophies were based in keeping a scene as realistic as possible to keep your reactions as realistic as possible what would you really say here? How would you really feel? And to explore that part of it. And I go, yeah, I respect the way, that way I respect very much when you look at something, if you look at a script or as an actor, you're looking to analyze it. Like when you're doing all your, your actor work, you know, that's where I go. That's my frame of thinking. That's how I frame everything is keep it as real as possible. It was because my influences unbeknownst to me at the time, but now that I look back, that's why. It's like even something as silly, some might say that stand-up com- comedy is, everybody that I was watching, or at least everybody that I really loved and kept in my heart, were ones that were trying to be as real and genuine as possible. 
So when yeah. I look at something, I, I think of that. I go, I just want to get across something that's real and make people feel real things. They don't, you know, as cheesy as that sounds, that's how, uh, that's how I always want to approach anything I do, any, any work that I have. I was like, I, I want to keep this as genuine and real as possible. Like that's yeah. who I grew up watching. That's who I respected. And I, I want to have that. Like if anything, that's what I want my work to be. With, you know, yeah. if it, it, even if it, I've done that through theater, through directing things, acting them, writing them, even the comedy stuff, like some of the stuff I've had, like it can make people uncomfortable. That's fine. As long as it's, as long as it's real. Like, I don't care as long as it's real. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the end goal for comedy where it's like, if you can make people uncomfortable, but at the same time laugh, you're pretty much uh, succeeding as a, a, as a comedian. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I wanted to actually piggyback back into uh, Shakespeare where it was like how it's similar where Shakespeare is actually what you were just talking about before where it Shakespeare can make you laugh and cry and then make you think at the same time because even though Shakespeare has a very very difficult language when it's performed right and it's actually mm -hmm. you know uh, performed correctly I should say well not, oh, yeah. performed correct, not performed correctly it's like oh this is the actual way of saying it. but when it's actually you know um, when it's actually when there's an adaptation actually takes the uh, the barge, you know, oh, okay. actually words on paper and actually makes it their own, you know, that's when his work actually feels a lot more appropriate and a lot, a lot more like relatable too. So how did you actually come to terms to being, okay, I've done Shakespeare. I gotta keep on doing Shakespeare. <laughs> I'm sorry, say that again? Oh, uh, basically, how did you become, infl uh, not influenced, how did you become engulfed with Shakespeare? So, I, my relationship with Shakespeare is actually a, a bit tough. Um, I was always very intimidated by it. Um, even, it like, even in high school, it was always very hard for me, because uh, the language is very hard. To me, it, felt, it did feel like I was reading another language where I would have to get, I was like, I have to translate every line and then yeah. read it as like a normal play. Um, and that followed me into college. I always struggled with it. Um, I have a story that I tell, it's not really a story, it's just something that happened to me where <laughs> um, I was in a Shakespeare class that, you know, the, it was just to teach you, you know, if you didn't know already, teach you about iambic pentameter, how to, you know, analyze the text. Yeah. a little bit about the history, all that stuff. So there was one scene, I think it was a scene from Twelfth Night, and I was just struggling. Like, things weren't connecting for me. Um, I was just very unsure because I never had any confidence when it came to Shakespeare. And so I was struggling through this thing, and I went to the professor of the class. I went to him, you know, after hours, and I explained this to him. I was like, you know, I just, I, I just need help. Like, I know I can get it. I just need a little bit more instruction. I'm just... Unsure, and I tell them the things I'm sure about. And this man, in all his infinite wisdom, who is one of our one of the acting professors, looks at me. He's like, "Well, just do better." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, great, thanks, perfect. That yeah, that's what you want to hear from a professor that's supposed yeah. to help you." So that gives you. I'm like, "Okay, great." So my my journey with Shakespeare. That's one of the bumps in the road. I'm like, "Great, that doesn't really fill me with much confidence." So I 
avoided it. And I just thought, you know what, maybe this is just not something I do. You know, I also don't sing. So maybe just, it's not something I'll explore. Maybe I just avoid doing Shakespeare. It's just, it just might not be something that's in my repertoire and that's fine. Like I came to accept that for a number of years. Um, I, I used to work with a group of actors um, that did a lot of Shakespeare, um, you know, in other projects. And then we would work together. We did, we did a lot of things that were, um, that had a lot of stage combat surrounding them. We, yeah. like, I used to associate with a group of actors who had this playwright who would write a lot of short plays that had a lot of stage combat in them. So it was kind of like a hop, skip, and a jump away from Shakespeare, which also can, has a lot of combat in them, right? Like old, like yeah. working with, with, you know, sword, like sword, swords or, or staffs, all of that type of stage combat stuff, like that type. And so a lot of times he would also put on Shakespeare shows. Um, and I remember, I'm like, well, this is not something I'm going to be involved with. I don't, I, I, I don't get it. I've never gotten it. Um, and I was only maybe in one, before working with Brooklyn One, I was only in one Shakespeare show. And I had a very small part. And it was fun. Like, it was such a small role. I'm like, okay, th this amount of words I can get. You know what I mean? Like, I understand it. Um, my objective is correct. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying anything wrong. Like, it's all good. And... I didn't really have the opportunity to do it again until Brooklyn won. Yeah. And I forgot how I found the audition, but I'm like, okay, you know what? Like, I'll, I'll try it. I have, like we all do in, in my, you know, auditions book, I've got like my Shakespeare monologue. I did it. And Anthony Marino um, put me in Julius Caesar as uh, Caesar's wife. And what was nice is also like as as you've seen we cut down the shows because we don't do three hours that would kill all of us yeah um he cut it down and what was great is he made my part bigger like and I guess like I'm not gonna put words in his mouth I guess he like trusted me enough that like okay we're gonna give you more to do because Caesar's yeah. wife is not really in the show a whole lot so he put me like toward the end as well like stuff that normally like the townspeople would say he had me say as Caesar's wife so that was nice he gave it was it really was the first time I was given something and and it was also not an easy role because there's there's a very you know it's a very dramatic scene where after Caesar has died and she's addressing you know she's addressing the town again it's supposed to be the townspeople and now it's like okay this is these are my lines so I'm essentially yelling at the townspeople for not trusting my husband. Um, like that's what happens at the end. It's a very dramatic scene. It was not easy. And yeah. it was, I was really grateful because that was the first time I ever dived into something like that. And it was like, I it's like a switch turned on. I'm like, oh, I get it. Like, this is not that, in like, I get it. This is not that intimidating. I can do this. And, and granted, I still have the same process. Like some people can just read Shakespeare and totally understand what's going on. I yeah. still don't really have that ability. It's better, but I still also need to do the translation. I'm like, this is what I just read. Here's what it means. And then I can do the after work, you know? I still have to do that, but I'm so less intimidated by it. It's more yeah. like, this is in my repertoire. This is like, no, I can do this. Like no problem whatsoever. Um, so it, 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 
it opened up like a whole new world. And I told Anthony that I told him that, um, last year when I directed the show and I was yeah. like, this is what started it. Is he, he, you know, I was also, I was not part of Brooklyn one before that. I knew literally nobody that was part of Brooklyn one. Um, I knew none of these people. And when I, when I was cast and then I, the people that have been around for a number of years, I'm like, Oh God. Okay. They all know each other. This is intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Cause in theater, in theater, that happens a lot. It's fine. You work with the people that you know on, on multiple it's a very small world. Absolutely. Yeah. And it happens all the time. So when I'm here and I'm like, I am totally on the outside of all this like little circle. Um, but they were like, welcome me with open arms. Um, he, Okay, you know, Anthony, I guess I would say, I would think, because he's been letting me work for, for a while now, like, enjoyed my work, appreciated it, like, liked what I was doing, kept me around. And the fact that it was because of a Shakespeare role is still a little mind-blowing to me, because again, for so many years, it was something that I'm like, this is just something that is just not for me. For so many years, I'm like, it's just not my thing. I'm just not going to do it. And then now I'm like, yeah, like, let's do it all the time. Do more of them. Let's do the whole, let's, let's do all of Shakespeare's works. Like, bring it on, you know? Now I'm like, <laughs> it's, it's totally something that doesn't scare me anymore, um, which is still amazing. It's because yeah. I did that as an adult. I've only been, you know, working with Brooklyn One for four years. Um, so, it, you know, an older dog can learn new tricks, <laughs> yeah. which I was pleasantly surprised by. How, um, how how was it actually yeah. directing? Uh, I'm trying to remember what last year's was. Last year's Tame, play was Taming of the Taming of the Shrew. That's what it was. For some reason, mm -hmm. I thought it was. I actually thought it was Twelve Ninth because you mentioned Twelve Ninth before. It's like it feels like that. Mm. It feels. Like, but yeah, it was Taming of the Shrew. I remember. Taming now, of the Shrew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how was actually directing Taming of the Shrew? Because I know it's. I want to say it's a fairly difficult play, but. It's, it's a, no, you can say that it's difficult. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the year before that, I was Beatrice in yeah, Much Ado About Much Nothing. Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. Do you Which remember? We were both in. Yeah, with yeah. the role too. That that was also a dream role of mine, um, because Beatrice. Um, the first time I ever saw Much Ado was the film version with Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson, and it's brilliant. They're so good. Yep. One of the things about Shakespeare people always say is that funny Shakespeare, it is so hard to make it funny. If you can laugh, if somebody makes you laugh while they're doing Shakespeare, they are aces. Like they're, they're brilliant. Yeah. And that movie makes me laugh. I'm like, they're so good. Um, so I remember, and, and the role of Beatrice is this sarcastic, like woman who like, I don't want a husband. I just want to make fun of men and be on my own. I'm like, I love that character. Like, it's great. Um, she just insults Benedict for like the whole show. It's great. It's so fun. And I, 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 it's just, a, it's a strong female role. Oh yeah, it is. And I love it. Um, so when I, when I auditioned for that, I was like, look, um, I'm, and I, I did, I was like, I'm not really going to be happy doing another role. And I even said that, I'm like, if you don't want to include me because, you know, if there's somebody else that's also, that, that impressed you, that's great. You know, cast them, that's cool. Like, I get it. That's the process. Yeah. Um, but I just know that I didn't fit anywhere else. I was like, this is, the, this is one of my dream roles. I'm gunning for it. Like, I worked my ass off. I don't know if I can curse if you want to cut that out. Yeah, you um, can curse. Okay. I, I, worked, I worked really hard, and I was very excited and very, very grateful that they're like, yes, you're going to be our Beatrice. It was very, very exciting. Um, yeah. 
And I did say that. I, it's, it's the first time, by the way, I ever did that. It's, this, is a, this is a little inside baseball. But for people listening, like, if you go on audition, on the audition sheet, they say, like, would you, like, what is your preference role that you write down? And then you say, like, would you take any other role? And it was the first time in my life that I put preference role, Beatrice, will you take any other role? No. The first time I ever did that. I swear, first time I ever did that. And even as I'm doing it, I'm like, this is ballsy. Like, should that's, I be doing this? I don't that's know. That's pretty straightforward, but I, too. But it's also like, I, it's, I try to not explain it like I'm a jerk. It was just like, I know I wouldn't be happy doing anything else. Like, if they didn't want me as Beatrice, then I would totally still super support the show. I would have gone and cheered them on because everybody involved is, is, was great and talented and it was amazing. And I would still totally love and support it. I, I would absolutely understand. But I knew yeah. for me, I'm like, I'm not going to be happy at anything else. I just, I, I just know. And I wouldn't want to like, you know, I, I just wouldn't want anything to jeopardize anything. So that's what I put. And it worked out. Thankfully, it was, it was great. I was very happy with it. Again, super difficult. That was a yeah. very hard role. Um, but I'm very excited that I did it. It, you know, again, the more years that I work with Brooklyn, one, the more responsibility and, or the, the more, the more stuff I get to do and, and it's different stuff that I get to do. And it just shoots my confidence way up more and more every year with Shakespeare, oh, yeah. which is so great. Cause again, this, this was something, this was like, this was my white whale, like Shakespeare in itself was like, that's my white whale that I had to overcome as a performer. Cause to me, it was just, it's a whole world that I thought was never going to be open to me. I just thought I'm always going to be like this. I'm always going to be scared of it. Um, and so it was great that like, you know, Anthony and Brooklyn one gave me the opportunity to like, it's not a white whale. It's just a little fish. Like you can do it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can take over. Um, so when much ado was, was done and I was like, you know, this is one of my dream roles. Like, uh, one of our, one of the other actresses, uh, Nicole Franz, who also has been working with Brooklyn one for, for many years, she has, she has, during the run of Much Ado, she would always keep telling me, like, oh, I wish we could do Taming of the Shrew. Like, she kept whispering about that, like, and kept saying that to Anthony. What about Taming of the Shrew? What about Taming of the Shrew? She kept throwing it out there. And I was like, I remembered that show. Um, everybody who, um, who isn't familiar with it might be familiar with the movie Ten Things I Hate About You, which was a yeah. modern retelling of Taming of the Shrew. Um, so that's how I remembered it. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And, <laughs> and I just kind of figured, you know what? Like, I, taking the shrew for me, it's, it's fun, obviously. Um, I've seen it done before. Like, those actors I used to work with put on a production of it, I remember. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun roles. It's very dark, but it can be a lot of fun. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really have this interest. I don't have, like, an emotional interest in playing any of these roles to, to, try to, to try to go that route. So I remember after Much Ado, I pulled Anthony aside. I'm like, I want to direct. Can I do this? Like, are you okay with me doing this? Because I, I think I want to. I, I think I yeah. want to take this on. Um, I was very scared. Like, honestly, I was very scared he was going to say no. Um, but I, I, I kind of just had this idea of pulling from the fact that 10 Things I Hate About You was this retelling in a high school. Um, but it obviously wasn't that dark. Like, it doesn't have any kind of, it wasn't dark. You know, it wasn't yeah. really depressing. It was like a nice movie. 
there are a lot of elements in Taming of the Shrew that are super dark. Um, and I just had this thought, I'm like, you know, if it's not like this high school movie, it could be like this one. And I thought of Heathers. Oh my God, and, that, that's a I, great like idea of how to essentially, uh, like when you think of Shakespeare and then you think of how would I have Shakespeare in a high school Mm -hmm. you would have to think of another high school movie where it's like, oh, they've done it with Othello, with O, but that was in some college. Yeah. Was mm -hmm. that, that may have been any college or in high school, I forgot which one, but it was either or. Yeah. It was an African, African, African school. And yeah. then you, ha you have Taming of the Screw with 10 Things I Hate About You, um, uh, She's the Man with, um, what was the other one? Twelfth Night, I think, again. Anyway, but yeah, mm -hmm. but, when, but when you think of Taming of the Screw and then you think of like, how would you actually set it inside of school or something like that? And then yeah. Yeah, think of I Heathers. Mean, and Heathers by itself is almost a Shakespearean-like movie because it's it's quite dark. It's hilarious, but at the same but time, it's, a, it's... It's supposed to be a comedy. And there's certain parts of it I go, how? Like, it's so, like, off the beaten path. It's so strange. And I just remember, like, it didn't necessarily, to me, I'm like, doesn't have to be in a high school. I was pulling, it was more like the tone. Do you know what I mean? I watched it and yeah. I go, I want this tone where it's super dark, but you're reminded that it's supposed to be funny. And I, and again, going for, why are my influences the way they are? Because I, I remember thinking, I'm like, this might make people feel uncomfortable, but good. Yeah. I'm like, this is my goal. I'm like, I'm fine to make them uncomfortable as long as it's real. And the, is... the, dark the dark elements of the show should be very real. Um, yeah. So that's how I looked at it. I was more looking at like, I want to pull from the tone. And, and also I did, as you seem like it was set in the eighties. So that was also yeah. something that was pulled from Heather's. I'm like, I don't really want it super modern. Um, I liked the idea that I also just like the idea that the characters look so colorful and <laughs> some yeah. of it is just these very serious scenes. Um, you know, if, you know, if, if you're unfamiliar, I mean, Taming the Shrew, it's just, it's this narcissistic guy who's abusing his wife um, to control her, to break her down and to control her. Comedy, right? Totally. Sounds hilarious. Um, yeah. But that was my... Right, but that was my, that was the challenge is like reading and I go, how the hell is this a comedy? Like this no. guy is just abusing her. She abuses her sister. Um, like what part, how, how am I gonna do this? Um, and on top of that, I didn't, I really didn't want the ending to be, like I, I, I didn't want this to be an ending where, um, Catherine loses like yeah. she loses the entire show and I wanted this to be a somewhat of a positive outcome because we all like to see the villain get their comeuppance um and if you and I don't know if I'm skipping ahead but if you if yeah, in, in and in the show uh Petruchio doesn't get his comeuppance I mean the way that it ends on paper is just you know, hey, here's my here's my wife. I have I have tamed her. I, I've trained her to be what she's supposed to be. And Catherine makes this whole big speech, right, about 
you should be subservient to men. This whole yeah. speech is, di is directed not only to the people in their wedding party, because it's right after a, a wedding, um, and it's a celebration, it's to the rest of the cast, but she also addresses it to the audience. Hey, ladies, our men do a lot for us. They go out and they fight wars while we're home. Like, we get to be safe, and we get, to, you know, we get to just be these soft little creatures, and men have to go out and fight for us, so you should be subservient to them. It's this whole giant speech um, that is super outdated in words. Yeah. And I remember the, uh, the, one of the first, that was the struggle. That was one of the struggles is like, she loses this whole time. You see this very strong willed woman, albeit, you know, she's also abusive to her sister. She's also wrong at certain points. Um, but you see just Petruchio get worse and worse and worse with her, right? He starves yeah. her. He makes her wear tattered clothes. Like he keeps, he keeps dragging her everywhere. He's controlling where she goes, controlling how she says things, like controlling whether or not she eats. Um, keeps doing, like, like she'll, she'll say one thing and he'll say another to confuse her. He does all of these horrible abusive tactics. Um, to the, and then it's justified at the end because she makes this whole speech. And it's like, yeah, he was right. The ends justify the means. I'm a better woman because of it. That's yeah. how the whole play reads. And I go, what am I going to do here? Because I don't want, I didn't want that to be the ending. Um, no. I, like, not necessarily positive, but more so, like, I enjoyed the irony of the fact that I want this to end where Kat actually wins. Ooh, where really? the whole time she's, where she's actually, I want this whole time where she wins, where she's actually, like, oh, she's maybe been playing along the whole time. And she actually wins. So, and again, I, that's what, this is what I mean, but I don't know if I'm skipping ahead, but um, the one of the things that I did to change it and to make it a little, and also it made it more, a little bit more dark is I had her, I had uh, Kat do the speech um, as genuine as she could. She's like, no, yeah, the, you know, I, we are subservient to men, this whole speech. Um, and it's to everybody there. It's to everyone has a party. And I don't know if you saw it or not, but if you remember at the end, um, everyone slowly make... leave. Yeah. Okay. So at the end, what I did was, at the end, it just, she makes this speech. Petruchio was like, yeah, that's my wife. Cool. Right, guys? And that's the end. Yeah. Um, so what I did was, I'm like, okay, I'll do this. And so she says, they say all the lines. Everybody walks away. Petruchio is the last one to walk away. And before he leaves, you see Kat, and she pulls out a knife and slowly follows him off stage. And she's got this, like, little, like, sly, knowing smile on her. And I go, there you go. Have the audience decide whether or not she finally enacted her revenge. They get to decide that. Because I had, I had two ways of doing it. I could show it, which I, I, you know, part of me wanted to. Part of me wanted to show this ending as, like, a dinner. And I wanted... I wanted her to maybe kill him in view of everybody, but nobody noticed the thing. That was one form I wanted to do. But I did like the idea at the end that maybe no one really knows what happened. And that's not in the script. There are no stage directions in the Shakespeare show that say she pulls out a knife or does any of that. That was just me. I was like, I can't change the words. We can't physically change these words. So I need something else to show that Cat wins. Yeah. I need something else to show that you've seen all this horribleness leading up until now, but don't worry. This is still her story. Yeah. Um, I was going to, I was actually going to have 
um, when I first had this idea and I was very intimidated to direct it on my own, I was going to work uh, with this girl named Jessica Bathurst. I hope I'm not pronouncing her last name, but Jessica worked with Brooklyn One on a few shows, kind of like as a dramaturg, like she would make sure um, we're saying things properly or she would under, she would make us understand, hey, you're saying this phrase, here's what it means, you know, here's what Shakespeare meant by it. She would just help with the text a little bit. And she, she is super smart. She's great at it. I mean, she's taught Shakespeare before. I believe she was a, a teacher for that. Um, and she was a brilliant resource to have. And she was the first one I went to, um, to really ask her, like, do you want to co-direct this with me? Uh, mostly I'm like, I'm scared to do this alone. And you're super smart. Like we work together. And she had a different vision of it. Like respectively, she thought this couldn't be a comedy. Respectively, yeah. she thought, I don't think you can do this to where, to where it doesn't look like Cat is abused and that's the end of it. She's like, you know, and she wasn't disrespectful about it whatsoever. She was super supportive, but she's like, I, my vision of it, I just don't think it can happen. I'm like, okay, that's fair. But she did say something to me that was very helpful. She said, whose story is this? Like, you have to decide whose story this is and then cater to that. I'm like, you're right. This is Kat's story, right? Petruchio takes over a lot of times and in Shakespeare, obviously it's an ensemble. Like, there's a lot of main stories they tell, right? They also talk about Bianca and, you know, her suitors. Like, that is also focused on. But I made the choice. I'm like, this is Kat's story. So how yeah. do I want Kat, how do I want Kat's story to end? I'm like, well, I want her to get her, I want her to enact her revenge. I don't want her to lose. Yeah. Like, how is that going to help anybody? Um, um, and it's also like, do, like, you don't, like, I didn't want to show that. I didn't want to show that some narcissistic jerk off can just do all this stuff and then not get his comeuppance. Yeah. Um, so what <laughs> so once I made that decision and I had that like thought I'm like oh my god yes like have her pull out a knife at the end is she gonna kill him is she not is it just to make herself feel better like you just don't know that's where the show ends yeah it's very um, uh, ambiguous to where you want to do that because like you said before Shakespeare doesn't have any uh stage reps it's just basically line 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 and maybe someone enters and someone exits it and if there is a stage director it's kind of like, you know, exit pursuit by a bear, that's real fair. But even then, mm -hmm. it's just like, like you could literally have fun with the type of stuff that you have written on a Shakespeare thing. It's like- Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, some, right. A lot of it is up to your interpretation. Um, but you can't, you know what I mean? You can't change the words. Like you can't just yeah. make up lines. And that was, that was the challenge is this whole time, I'm like, I want, it, it's so, it's such a, there's so many dark elements to it. And how do I make this to where it doesn't, it doesn't end depressingly. Yeah. Um, it kind of ends like, Ooh, yeah. Okay. Cat, I see you. Good. Yeah. Go like, it's a little bit empowering to me. Like, okay. See, as dark as it is, like, is she going to kill him? Like, it's a very dark thing, but it's still, it's taking back her power that we've seen been beaten out of her, you know, metaphorically and not like the whole show. And um, speaking of taking back your power, uh, I do want to touch upon your wrestling uh, thing, because this is actually oh. a great segue, because... It's, a, it's also actually related, because the guy that played yeah. Petruchio is a wrestler. <laughs> yeah, it is true, because it, I, I, I find I, I will, it... I will also tell you that, I will also tell you that when I, um, when I first wanted to do this, that's also something I had solidified in mind, is like, in Taming of the Shrew, there's a lot of violence. 
Like yeah. Petruchio, Petruchio hits like his his right hand man. You know, Cat hits Bianca. Everybody is abused, and I was like, I I want to show that because I I I also like I said I I like keeping things as real as possible, even if it goes very dark. Um, so those who watched it saw the violence get worse and worse. Like it got more and more kind of scary, realistic. Um, yeah. especially between, especially between Petruchio and Kat, their, their first meeting, you know, it's their first meeting when they're insulting each other back and forth. It, that was also very, um, there was a lot of stage combat. There's a lot of physicality in that first meeting. Um, but it's very goofy. Um, you know, he gets kicked in the nuts at some point, like it, it's goofy. And the more that he abuses her, the more the the violence starts to get realistic. He'll pull her hair. I have him slap her at some point. Not real, obviously, it's stage combat, but it, yeah. it just gets more and more realistic and it looks worse and worse. Um, and I, I was also honestly very scared at some point that the audience was going to take offense to it. I'm like, it's a woman being hit on stage, even if they understand it's fake. Um, but that was like a certain fear of mine. I'm like, I hope they don't like like Brooklyn Bond actually, endorses, endorses. Yeah, I was a little nervous. Like, um, like you know how, and it's also a public park. Cause like, yeah, I was a little nervous about that. Um, but but it was okay. I mean, we didn't have anyone walk out. Um, there was no campaign online. Brooklyn One supports you know <laughs> abusing women. <laughs> Nothing like that. People understood. Okay, this is part of the show. Like I'm trying to yeah. make it as raw. I, I wanted to make it as raw as possible. Um, to show how low, like, we can put Kat, how low she can get. Because that's what makes the ending to me so sweet. When we see her pull out the knife, like, oh, there we go, like, retribution. Um, but yeah, we had, thankfully, we had uh, a wrestler as Petruchio, uh, John. He, uh, a, friend, a friend of mine went to college with him, um, and the friend is also involved in wrestling, so he knew, he knew about it. Him. and thankfully because the guy is like super strong so any yeah. like, like I had him manhandle Nikki who played uh, Nicole Franz I mentioned before she played uh, Catherine I had him manhandle her because she's very small she's very thin like she's a tiny girl and to have this giant wrestler guy just like throw her around I'm like we could like we we had a lot of freedom to to play with the physicality which made that part of it a little bit easier like we could do anything like we yeah. could create all these fun stage pictures because I got this giant monster here who could just throw this woman around and have it be super safe. Um, yeah. So like that was really cool um, because I, when I pictured doing this, I always wanted to bring in a wrestler. You know, from mm -hmm. my little circle of people, I always planned on bringing in a wrestler yeah. um, to help with the quote unquote, the fake fighting. I, yeah. always, planned on, I always planned on doing that. I didn't think for a second, that he was going to be our male lead. It just made it like, hey, we got an in, we got an in-house expert now. So he, it was really helpful um, with like certain physical things uh, that he was there to make it look realistic. You yeah. know, again, that's you know my my cornerstone where I go to. I just want it to be as realistic as possible. Like stick with with realism. So yeah, it was super helpful that he was there. Like, oh, you're the lead, and you're also going to help me with all the physical stuff if I get stuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, speaking of wrestling, uh, how did you get into uh, 
callous wrestling as your character, Por uh, is it Portia? Yeah, Portia Vaughn. Portia Vaughn, yeah. Yeah, Portia um, Vaughn. Yeah, we're him? breaking we're we're breaking kayfabe a little, but that's fine. Yeah, it's Portia. <laughs> kayfabe? What is this thing I called? Know. Kayfabe. I know. I I was in. I like. I had a friend interview. Um, me like a number of years ago and we did the same thing like we broke kayfabe so it's fine <laughs> kayfabe like, what is now. kayfabe like what is kayfabe now in <laughs> yeah but yeah um, how, uh I, I in terms of uh are you a trained uh, wrestler or do you just take on the managerial no absolutely not um no you're just like uh, the mouthpiece of, of just like one exactly. big exactly oh, okay yeah no no um i like again, I have stage combat experience. It's nowhere near the same thing. Um, I like again. This is my background is is acting and writing and all that stuff. Um, and one of my closest friends, uh, Matt Ryan, uh, started. Um, we we were called Capital Wrestling. Um, he started it three years ago, and the first thing he said to me is like, you know, I want you to be a, I want you to be a manager here, because. You know, if you if you look at certain parts of it, if you break it down, it is kind of like it is an acting role. You know, yeah. you're pretending to be somebody else, and and you say words in front of people. Like it's it's pretty straightforward in that way. Now, obviously, when I started doing it, I'm like, this is a whole different animal. It is yeah. a super different world than I was used to. Um, like I for acting roles, like for street theater, I don't I don't get those nerves. Like I don't get nervous um, whatsoever. I'm fine. Um, for certain things, for wrestling, if I'm like, if I, if I have like a, um, a pretty long promo, like I'm scared, I'm going to forget things. I, I you know, like I, I worry like how to interact with the audience. Like there's certain times where I'm like these, th there's things to overcome that I don't encounter uh, with just performing. Even though when we look at it, we broke it down. Like, yeah, you're just, you're, you're performing a role, but it's a very different environment. It is yeah. very different. Um, so I had, um, in I, terms oh, of promos, oh, yeah. in terms of promos, uh, is it essentially like a script where you basically have to remember those lines per se, or is it basically like a, an outline where it's like, this is it, what you need to say, and this is what yeah. you need to hit on? Um, it can be both. Um, I've heard, you know, all the, the, uh, the model that everybody models after the WWE. I've heard they do both. Like I've heard you can, they write out things word for word for people to say, and they have to memorize it. Um, but a lot of times, no, a lot of times it is just that it's, it's, you want to hit these bullet points and you just make up how you get there. And a lot of people can function that way. And I can't really like, maybe eventually I'll get there. Um, but I've been doing this for three years and, and every promo that I've had, I write word for word. And I memorize it like it's like it's a monologue. And granted, I have been told by by a few people who you know are producers in wrestling, like you're just giving yourself more work. You realize that, like you're just making it harder on yourself. <laughs> and I do real and I do recognize that, but it's for my own sanity at this point. Like for right now, who knows if a few years in the future I'll, I'll feel comfortable doing that with just bullet points and just like flying off the cuff. But for now that's how I feel comfortable working is like, what are the bullet points I have to hit? I will write it out, like have essentially a short 60 second monologue and just memorize it. And yeah. it can be very like, it absolutely can be very stressful. Um, and I've 
been very nervous, like if I forget something, whatever. Um, because sometimes I'm not told, there have been some shows, like if I have live promos, like at the actual show where I'm literally there speaking to the audience, it's not a backstage um, interview or promo where we can, you know, stop and start. Um, sometimes I'm given what I have to say or the bullet points, I'm giving them like a week before. And to me, that's like sometimes super stressful. Yeah. It's gotten, I've gotten, it's gotten easier. Like that used to be, I'm like, no, please don't tell me a week. I need like all this time beforehand, but it's gotten easier where if they tell me a week beforehand, I'm like, oh right, yeah, I got it. No problem. You know, yeah. and now I can write something that's a minute or a minute and a half and I can do it and it's okay. Um, yes, but currently that, that is how I work and it's not how everybody works. And a lot of people in the wrestling industry probably think it's the wrong way to do it. And I totally get that. It's just, I'm coming from this other world where that's this how... acting perspective. Like there's, it's yeah. weird. It's weird how essentially those who aren't really part of wrestling, they, you know, you do get the sensation that, yeah, it is an act. Again, breaking kayfabe there. It is an act. Everything is scripted. But at the same sure. time, it is live theater in a way where it's like, mm -hmm. it, it, it is actually like another form of live theater where it's like, you have two people, the heel and the baby face, and they, you know, mm -hmm. they're having their little promo. They have the match. It's like, it's very choreographed. Sometimes it isn't choreographed to do it on the fly, that sort of thing. And yeah, but at the same, yeah, at the same time, it's essentially allowing you to have fun for at least a couple of hours because I've been to plenty of wrestling shows where it's like, I have no idea what the story is, but I'm being entertained and being engaged. This is a very engaging show. You know, it's like, and then during the, during the, during the event, you know, some manager, like, you know, a character like you come out, give a little, like, I hear say, like, you know, catch up people on, you know, like, this is like, almost not like, this is what's been happening, but it, it's like the heel has the moment to shine, where it's like, essentially, I have like a minute or two, I'm just gonna tear the crowd a new asshole, maybe yeah. something, something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. But still, but still establish some stuff that's been happening in the company where it's like, you know, mm -hmm. my, yeah, there's, um, there's storyline, there's storylines you have to hit. It's a lot of people say it's just a soap opera with punching. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it, it's, that's where that whole, you know, awful stereotype is like, well, it's fake. Like, it's not, these people are actually getting hurt. They just yeah. know how they're going to get hurt. That's the only difference. They just know how they're going to be hurt. Like, they're actually getting hurt. I don't understand why. I, I never understood that logic of, like, well, it's fake. I go, not really. It's how, how are you faking jumping from the top rope, doing a somersault, and then landing on another body? Like, how do yeah. you – it's not fake. Um, yeah, but that's, um, you know, when he – when, when uh, Matt started this company, approached me, um, and I was very nervous. I'm like, yeah, you know, this is not my realm, but there's – elements of it that I have done before so let's see how we go and there was a character I wanted like I just was toying around with this idea of the feminist um, of, was it which right the feminist feminist which is feminist activist it's a combination of two words which I'm um, always saying I'm always saying it <laughs> I'm always saying it as fem, uh, uh, feminist but uh, but even though I'm trying to say as feminist feminist it's yeah it's yeah, activist it's, and feminist at the same together. time. Yeah, and I had to look it up. I don't like, I was like, did someone else come up with this? All right, cool. Because, no, good. you know, uh, no, patent pending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very serious about that. <laughs> um, yes. Because I thought, because I thought like, 
you know, someone obnoxious would do that. It's like combine two words. Um, and also Portia is named after Shakespearean Portia. That is where I pulled that name from. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it is named after that. People thought it was spelled like the car. I go, no. I, because oh. I think Portia's, I think Portia's parents would be so up their own ass. They're like, we're going to name her after a Shakespeare character. Like, it just makes her more hoity-toity than, so I, I just, I always like that. Um, but it was just, you know, it, it, people could argue the politics of it all they want. To me, it was just, you know, I'm a woman. I, I, I think we're all considered feminists, but there's a lot of elements to modern day feminism that I don't agree with because sometimes it's not really based in, in facts and it's not really based in helping people. Sometimes a lot of people, when they, when they say I'm a feminist, it's just to, it's, it's for like selfish motivations or it's yeah, just very to say petty like, like, yeah, or like we're better or, you know, like we are better than men. I mean, it's not everybody obviously, but there's just certain elements to modern day feminism that I don't agree with because it's yeah. not helpful. It doesn't help the conversation. You know, you're drowning, you're just drowning out voices that should be heard. And to me, Portia is that idea times a million. That's who she is to me. It's, yeah, because I, I, it's like I remember- every, everything, is, everything is a man's fault. Like she's not gonna listen to logic. She's gonna steamroll over everybody because as long as she gets what she wants, it doesn't matter. And she's gonna yeah. use feminism as the crutch to storm over everybody. Like that's who Portia is. That's why she's a heel is because she's, she's a bad, like she's these little bad elements that I've seen in reality and then expounded on like a thousand times. Like that's yeah. who she is. That's why she's a heel is because should you, cho should you cheer on feminism as a thing? Absolutely. Should you cheer on a woman who's trying to, you know, establish herself and be independent? Absolutely. Should you cheer Portia? Hell no, because she's a jerk. <laughs> Absolutely not. She's a jerk. Her intentions aren't good. You know, heels are heels. Their intentions are not good. Their intentions are always very selfish, like selfish motivation. So that's why she's the way that she is. Um, so even if you go, like I have had, I can't tell you how many people, like a lot of women, like love Portia. And I'm like, are you sure? She's are not you sure? supposed to be, she's not supposed to be loved. Like she's the bad elements of what we're supposed to be supporting. Like, <laughs> Um, because some people think like, yeah, totally. Like we cheer you on. Like, no, you're not. <laughs> um, so like, I try to remember, I'm like, I have to be, you know, I still have to be a jerk because sometimes they just see like, yeah, feminists, we love ladies. I'm like, that's great. But not this one. Like she's a hero. Yeah, th like this one is like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, because uh, I, I was actually reviewing, because uh, I review Catalyst Wrestling for, you know, for Matthew mm -hmm. and, yeah. And a few weeks ago, the, the show was doing like a mixtape of things that was happening. And one of the segments that was was your uh, promo from Skate Fest uh, last year, where you were yes. basically, where oh you basically, because you were basically giving giving the crowd a list of the main, well, list of rules, i.e., demands. Yeah, no, it was. I was giving a, a presentation on feminist terms that I felt they should know. Yeah, and I'm just watching this, and like, yes. it, it's like if this was a real life person uh, doing this inside, well, not inside, but doing this outside of a crowd on a mic, someone would probably mm -hmm. like just walk up to her and just go. But since oh, this is like the, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm just like this is this is a woman who will probably get punched in the face. She would get. She definitely get tomatoes thrown at her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and I'm just like, people are not happy. 
But as I'm watching this as a wrestling fan, I'm like, this is how you do heel heat. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> like this, much. this is how you make someone like hate you, but at the same time be like, you know what? I hate you as a character, but yes. I love you, Moxie. Skank Fest was an interesting experience. Um, it was, that was like, uh, it was, for those who don't know, it was, uh, we had, um, there was a comedy festival called Skank Fest, so it's obviously all, it's just stand-ups, um, but uh, Catalyst Wrestling is on the Gash Digital Network, um, which is a podcast network, with a lot of comedians on it, you know, we have a bit of a relationship with them, and they wanted us to do kind of like an hour showcase, almost, like not like a full-out show, because our shows are normally two and a half hours. So it was just an hour. Um, so we so we had like a like obviously it was cut down, stripped down. We had a lot of um, uh, we had a very few matches, and then of course myself um, because uh, I think the person I was managing at the time couldn't wasn't available, but they wanted me to do something. And for that audience, which is ninety nine point nine percent male. Um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're a certain type of audience. Um, you remember I spoke earlier about like the Opie and Anthony yeah. comedians and the, that's who Skankfest is. That's yeah. their audience. Like I knew what I was walking, I knew what I was walking into because I've been through, because I've been working with these types of people for many years. I'm very familiar with this like demographic and I'm like, yeah, they're gonna hate Portia. Like this is gonna be amazing. Yeah. Um, even before I walked out, like I had, oh, and I also had John who played Petruchio. He introduced me. Like I had him pretend to be like this official who's like, excuse me, we need to have equal time for women. So he came out in like a suit and pretended to be this like official, like, no, you all need to hear from a woman. And the, f the second he opened his mouth and said that, just booze. Like booze, it was just, just a booze. sea of yelling. And I remember I was backstage with, um, uh, uh, ben, who is an associate producer for Catalyst, but he is now also, he's like my, he's like my lackey. Oh, okay. Um, we've known each other a number of years. He, like, we're very good friends. He's, he's playing like my lackey. Um, so who's he's the next back with... who, who's on the next episode, by the way? Ben is on I'm my sorry? next episode. Ben is going to be on my next episode. Okay. Not, oh, not, okay not this, I mean, not this episode that's coming on Friday, but the one I'm being filming right after yours. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah, he's, yeah. I love him. Um, he, so we're, we're like behind the curtain and you just hear booze before I even step out there and I'm jumping up and down. I'm like, yes, they're so angry. This is great. They're going to be starting to hate us so much. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it was just like, if, if you, if you see it, uh, it's also, it's the whole skin fest thing is also on a, uh, on a DVD. Um, it's actually being sold in Walmart. I think it's being sold on Amazon, oddly enough. Um, but you can see the, like the whole show, um, or just our part really, I mean, um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was it's... the idea I had, I'm like, I want this to be presentational so that, so obviously I have an, an opportunity to talk down to them because that's all Portia does is she thinks she's better than everybody else. So I was like, let me come up with, with a list of feminist terms, which by the way, most of them don't exist. <laughs> Like, if you want to go and watch it, the term, some of the terms I came up with did exist, um, but some of them didn't. <laughs> so it's just stuff that I made up. Like, uh, so yeah, it, the whole time they're just, I think, screaming, they're just trying to scream over me. Um, all the standard stuff that you, you could yell at a woman 
make me a sandwich, get back to the kitchen. I didn't care about that. It was the first time I had people yell at me, show us your, um, show us you know your what? private, show us your yeah. private parts. But, yeah. But they didn't say that. There was, and I've never had that chanted at me before. That was the first for me. Um, to like, you know, they said, you know, show us your breast. Obviously, didn't say breast. I've had that shouted at me, sure. But the other thing, no, that was a first. That was <laughs> that. That was that was lovely. Uh, <laughs> I think, but it was I, that didn't, didn't offend. It didn't offend me at all. I was like, yes, please, the worst you can. Like, I, I it's it's amazing. It's, it's just more. Um, and the, the people fire. obviously afterwards, like, yeah, that was, yeah, no, absolutely, the worst you can shout at me. I don't care. It does not offend me. Um, <laughs> um, and then afterwards, like, obviously everyone was like, yeah, that was great. That was hilarious. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the whole point. Like, she's a heel, but I also, I, I try to make it, like, I also try to make it funny. Yeah. Like, I, I take a lot of pride in what I, I, I take a lot of pride in what I write. I, you know, um, I try to put in these little Easter eggs that maybe no one else will notice it, but I do. Um, like I had a backstage promo once where I, um, throughout everything I said, I would throw in real lines from Shakespeare. I would throw in references just because I was like, yeah, she would be hoity-toity enough that she would do that. Or, uh, we did an interview where someone interviewed Portia, um, that was on one of our TV episodes. And throughout the whole interview, every answer I gave had a line from The Handmaid's Tale in it. <laughs> I'm like, no one could, no one could ever notice to the end of time, but I know, like, I, you know what I mean? I like putting, I like putting a little more thought into, into what I say. Even if nobody notices these things, I, I like doing it. It makes me, I, I, I try to be proud of what I say and have, like, when she's out there, I, I try to make everything she says, not the standard, you know, my guy's going to beat your guy and your guy sucks. Yeah. Like I try to not make it as, as generic. I try to make everything a little bit special. I try to like pick a theme or I get an idea or I hear a phrase and I'm like, okay, I can build something around that. Um, like, I don't know, for example, we, um, uh, Catalyst did a show last August in August, 2019, we did an away show. We were in Nashville Yeah. and it was to, um, raise money for this guy who was wrongfully convicted, Adam Brazil. Um, and it was, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it was also very similar in that, like, um, was, I think it was like on the, I think it was on the shorter side. And so I remember like, you know, what do I want to say? And I always wait until something like strikes me. And I came up with this phrase that I honestly used in a real argument with somebody. Um, and the phrase was behavior dictates opinion which means how you act is gonna tell me how you think. Behavior dictates opinion. And that's all it took and I'm like, okay, cool. And then I had a whole promo like where I hit like three different points because also in comedy is also the golden rule in writing, rule of three. Sure. I always, yeah. always hit three points. Um, so I did that and, and it was behavior dictates opinion. Um, I still remember that. And I had like, I had like one of the female wrestlers on the show, like, you know, when you were speaking, I was like, yeah, I was so excited. Like, yeah, you go girl. Like that's no, you're supposed to hate her <laughs> because some of the stuff I was saying was real. I was, you know, saying how, you know, men in wrestling, like 
sometimes don't think you're you're a performer or like you're someone in charge they just think you're the girlfriend of somebody like won't shake your hand but i say i'm saying this as portia because yeah. she would also feel offended as a woman in wrestling she's like oh all these people disrespect me or they think that i don't deserve any you know like deserve to be looked at in the eye or deserve to have my hand shake you know shake my hand things like that yeah. um it also, it also how brings- what happens is i will think of like I'll think of a theme or I'll hear something or I'll hear, hear a quote. And I'm like, I could use this. Like, I'll, I'll take this and remember it and then like expound, expand on it. And I think on that note, yeah, because right now it's like I'm, I'm pushing that, I'm pushing like an hour and 45 minutes in terms of filming this. So we talked a long time. <laughs> I talk a lot. I know. I like to get across what I'm trying to say. I have to say, I have to, I, I honestly have to say, <laughs> I have the same problem, but I think to wrap it up uh, to a more faster way, uh, uh, I'll just forego some of the questions I have. Uh, social media, do you have any social media that you want to plug that you, people might want to go and say, yeah, you know what, you know, even though I hate yeah. this sport, even though I have, I hate this character you play, I love you, so where can we find <laughs> you? Sure, um, so to start it off with, for Por- Portia does have a Twitter, at the Portia Vaughn. Uh, Vaughn is D A U G H N. It has to be the, um, you know. I, well, Portia Vaughn is taken. There is oh, actually okay. a real Portia Vaughn. There is actually a real girl with that name who follows me. Oh, wow. Um, like an actual Portia Vaughn. Like, oh, God, sorry. Like, spelled the same way. Um, but that's that. For myself, um, since my, my name can be really hard. So if you look on Twitter, Instagram, and yes, TikTok. If you search God's unwanted daughter, you will also find me. <laughs> like that's my little, that's my handle is God's unwanted daughter. Um, you know, or an, amazing, put, an amazing handle, by the way. <laughs> or if you put Steph, you can also look for Steph Satilli. It's my real name. Um, but yeah, or God's unwanted daughter. You should find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. <laughs> And on that note, thank you, Seth Satilli, for joining me on Performing the Arts. My name, yeah. as my name, as always, is Brian M. Davis. I hope you had a fun episode, just listening and and hearing about different ideas. But yeah, Seth, thank you again. And of course, be, thank you. Be safe and just take care, buddy. Until next time.